God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. During these Lenten Wednesday services, we've been reflecting on the servant songs of Isaiah, these very early prophecies by the prophet Isaiah, beginning to teach the people who the Savior was going to be, what he was going to look like as a servant, what was he going to do? If you noticed, a lot of our readings this evening, in particular Isaiah and then yet also the Romans reading, it's a lot of judicial, a lot of legal language. And that's intentional why I chose the Romans 8 reading to show that even St. Paul in the New Testament picks up on this. This legal, uh, these legal terms, almost like, uh, well, not just like, but pointing out the fact that we Christians are like in a courtroom scene with God. And it is this servant who is going to be our witness. It is this servant who's going to work for our innocence. How's he going to do that? That's part of what Isaiah 50 is going to teach us as it taught God's people long ago as we see pictures of the servant suffering now during Lent as we come on Jesus' week of passion in a couple weeks. That the servant is not just going to be somebody who sits on a throne, who's in high castles, but this servant will sink to the lowest place possible for you. This third servant song teaches us that the servant will uphold God's law. He will establish justice. He will be steadfast. He will endure all things necessary for us to be declared innocent of all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing. So as I continue tonight, the text is this Isaiah 50, and if it's helpful for you, I'm going to kind of click through this, uh, some of these verses, and point them out. We won't go through the entire chapter, um, but I'm going to hit the highlights of it for us this evening uh, in this uh, servant song. This servant, he knows the God that he serves is a God of justice. There is right and there is wrong. Even today, even atheists, even today the most stringent atheists in all of history, they know and believe in justice. In fact, even those who, who claim that there's no right or wrong, even now in our society, yelling and shouting that we accept abortion, that we accept gender dysphoria and all sorts of psychological ailments, they want us to accept these as right and normal. They say it's not right to tell people they're wrong. I still haven't figured that one out yet. But even they are appealing to words of justice. They are even using the courts of law to enact some version of a perverted justice of right and wrong. Indeed, every human in their hearts know there's right and there is wrong. Part of our image of God that we had since Adam and Eve were created, but sin has really stained it now, has really wounded our judgment of justice. But this servant, he knows that God is a God of justice. There is right and there is wrong. The servant song tonight reminds us of the legal predicament we are in with God. 
if it were not for this servant. In the beginning verses of Isaiah 50, right away the servant's song begins to point out this predicament. The prophet says right away, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? The prophet is, of course, speaking to Israel and God's people. And then look at the next line. Look how he labels and says why this this people have been cast out. For your transgressions, your mother was sent away. God is pointing out to his people that he has every legal recourse to abandon them. All throughout the Old Testament, beginning, you see language of the exodus here, right? It says, behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea, right? The crossing of the Red Sea. I make the rivers a desert. Here, God is replaying all the things that he did for his people. Rescue from Egypt, saving Noah and his family from the flood, protecting them from invaders. God has, like a strong and dependable father, he's given Israel safety, guidance. He's given them sustenance. He's given them success in all the things, even before Israel asked to be rescued. God was already saving them. Like a newborn child, Israel yet couldn't even ask God for anything, and yet he was still rescuing them. But he points out legally, he had every right to throw them out, to disown them. And what what visual language the prophet uses in this legal battle, he said, it is your mother Your very heritage, the very source of your life, who has been cut off from God. Perhaps we can see hints here of a throwback to the Garden of Eden with Eve, who, as St. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, it was the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. Paul in 1 Timothy is a witness to the truthfulness of God's legal right to divorce mankind because of our mother Eve's unfaithfulness. And would we argue innocence in this? Are we so much better than our mother Eve? Would we argue innocence as as a right of ours? like mother, like children. I guess we could say the proverbial apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But this is the purpose of the servant song, to teach us that there will be a new beginning, to teach us that there will be a faithful one, that Israel and all of humanity for that fact, we should see ourselves not as the ourselves making our way back to God, but that God all along has been faithful in his deliverance of Israel and even in protecting Adam and Eve and not just ending creation right then and there and destroying them, God rescues them with a promise, with a gospel. Your seed will destroy the devil 
And even this servant now is going to rescue us, not just from our slavery and our earthly predicaments, but from our most threatening enemy, sin and death. We have no defense against sin and death, of course. And look at what God says in verse 2. He points this out. He says in asking about a defense, he says, When I came, there was no man. Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Just a few weeks ago, we heard in our Sunday gospel reading about the woman at the well. If you remember that story, out of the blue, Jesus says to this woman, go call your husband. Jesus, perhaps fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus, perhaps hearkening back to the servant song, even the whole book of Hosea, where the wife of Hosea Gomer, she is constantly breaking the marriage bond. She is constantly breaking her vows to her husband. She joins herself to every passing love interest. Do any of these love interests then stand up for Hosea's wife? Do any of these love interests Are any of them willing to defend Hosea's wife, Gomer? Do any of these so-called husbands take care of her, provide for her? Of course they don't. They have gotten what they wanted, and they are willing and ready to move on to the next victim. And that is a perfect picture of the devil, the fallen world, and our flesh, utterly Selfish, willing to use people, willing to use the gifts that God gives us for our own satisfaction. God says to Israel, who is going to answer for you? There is no one. The third servant song, it's this contrast before Israel as a failed servant, as a servant who has strayed. But look as the conversation, the prophecy, changes tones in verse 5. Now the conversation changes. In verse 5, we read this servant who now stands up. When there is no one who is willing to stand up and defend God's people Israel. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. And then as this goes into verse 6, look at the preview of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. The faithful servant. What is this going to look like? What is it going to look like when he stands up to give defense for God's people? Are God's people going to be so thankful for him? Are they going to say, oh, thanks be to God for this man from Nazareth. We love him so much. Look at verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. If you don't see Jesus in Good Friday and Maundy Thursday in Isaiah 50, 
you are intentionally blind. While the first servant of Israel failed in sin, this new servant will not fail, even in the picture of having his his hair, his beard being pulled out of his face, a sign of ultimate disgrace to a man. This husband, much like Hosea, even publicly disgraced, will not turn from saving his bride and defending her and loving her, even when it costs him his own life. Indeed, we have a picture for faithful husbands. For it is, of course, the scriptures that say in in marriage we see a reflection of Christ's love for his church. He is not embarrassed at you. He loves you. And even though we do plenty of things to, to deserve being given a certificate of divorce... He gives a a certificate written in the blood of His Son, of His love for us. While the first servant of Israel failed, the new servant will not fail. Israel and even ourselves, when we're mistreated, when we're treated unfairly, when we don't get what we think we deserve, what in our mind we think is true justice... We're not afraid to shake our finger at God and say we don't deserve this. We're not afraid to call out to God and blame Him. But the servant endures the suffering and scorn. He never second-guesses his father. He willingly allows himself to be spit on, to be hit. He gives himself that you would be spared If you look at the reading, uh, the other reading that I chose from tonight, from Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the first verse in our reading, we believe that the Holy Spirit intentionally guided Luke to include this description of Jesus' face being set toward Jerusalem. You see here in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke writes, He turned his face toward Jerusalem. Here we believe that Luke would be referencing this aspect of the suffering servant song from Isaiah 50. This verse in Isaiah 50 where it says when the servant, after this disgrace and spitting, look at verse 7 then. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Twice, Luke here, directed by the Holy Spirit, mentions that Jesus suffers because his face is set toward Jerusalem. That when Jesus turns his face toward, turns his face toward Jerusalem, he is going, he is set like flint. Nothing will deter him from going to the cross. But the cross is not to Jesus' shame. We believe here in Luke 9.51, Luke is referencing this passage from Isaiah 50 and setting his face like flint. Jesus knows he will not be put to shame because he who vindicates him is near. The servant knows and trusts that God will take care of everything. He knows he doesn't have, Jesus doesn't have to plead his case like a sheep He goes silently before the shearers. Jesus knows his father will plead 
his case. The servant knows he needs no advocate. He needs no man to witness for him. He truly can say, with God as my witness, Jesus can go to Jerusalem knowing that when he's crucified, that is his vindication. Because it's the completion of his mission. His crucifixion was his vindication. The servant, the perfect one, the one who came into our family, born of a woman, born under the law but without sin, for him to be crucified according to all the people that, well, According to some of the people there, even the soldier, when Jesus is crucified, there are some who say, this is not right. An innocent man is being put to death. In the world's eyes, justice is being perverted. And then, too, the devil, you can hear him standing right there. Jesus, why would you suffer if you're innocent? Well, the world doesn't get this justice Because this is the justice anchored in God's love. And God's love is a mystery to those who are slaves to sin. Who think the world's justice is true justice. Whatever the crowds at the moment are saying. But no, God's justice is that the innocent go free. You and me. So many people around Jesus when he's being crucified, when he knows his crucifixion is his vindication, and so many people are telling him, don't do it. Don't go to the cross. Don't endure suffering. You remember Peter. Peter, when Jesus says he'll be arrested and tortured, what does Jesus say? I'm sorry, what does Peter say? That's not fair, Lord. That's not justice. No way, Lord. Peter is arguing for the world's justice. Because he doesn't understand God's love anchored in his justice. Peter speaks with the voice of Satan. And it makes so much sense to Peter at the time. Don't go to the cross. That's not fair. Jesus answers, get behind me, Satan. Satan, as the accuser, is telling Jesus, that's not justice for you to go to the cross. You didn't commit any of these sins. The same accusation when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted and he's hungry. The devil says you shouldn't be alone and hungry. Turn these these stones into bread. You can't trust your father. But now today, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God, what St. Paul says in Romans 8, where are the accusations of the devil now? Where is the devil? Where are all the Jews and all the people standing around Jesus who wagged their fingers at him on Good Friday? Where are they now? Are their voices remembered? Are their names recalled by the history books? Jesus is raised. And where are the adversaries that mocked and spit on him? Isaiah continues. Behold. All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. But for us, for us, those who were formerly enslaved to sin, we have been set free. 
Even Isaiah preaches way back in Isaiah 50 how it is we who were slaves to sin are set free from the accusations of the devil. We are set free from the accusations of anyone who would throw our sins in our face. That we who trust in the name of the Lord, as Isaiah says in verse 10 and following, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. Salvation by faith alone is what Isaiah is preaching. This has always been the way that God freed his people, Old Testament and New. God himself declares you free, forgiven in the blood of Jesus. So when our life, when our life might look like the suffering servant, when you're, <laughs> sorry ladies, when your beard is pulled out, you don't know what that feels like, but it hurts. When your beard is pulled, as the suffering servant says, in our lives, when we give our backs, when we make ourselves vulnerable, and maybe even best friends stab us in that vulnerable back, just know that God is testing you. God is refining your faith in Him. You can be just like your servant, your suffering servant, Jesus. Because in the end, you have the same promise that Jesus has. That you can stand firm. You can trust in him. And all of our enemies, political enemies, religious enemies, all those who cause you to suffer, like Jesus's enemies and those who wag their fingers at him, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. But until then, we stand. Until then, we stand with this confidence knowing we've been declared innocent. And not even death, not even your death will be a testimony against you. But Jesus is a witness on our behalf, that God himself declares us forgiven. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.